Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, August 1st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to the App Store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet, contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate your doing so. If you're live on the call now, you can dial in 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or you can send us an email. You can send Jeannie an email at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w h y 
A-G, A-I-N dot O-R-G. And you can email me at T-J-H at mindshifters hyphen academy dot org. And if we get a comment or a question from you, we will address it on the Internet show and then as time allows, send you a notice about what day and time it was addressed so you can listen back to the archives for your input or the feedback. And we are very grateful whenever anybody chooses to do that because it tends to uh, make it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention that we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a lot easier to do when we get feedback about how are these discussions, how are the books that we discuss, how are the worksheets that we present landing for you? Are they stirring up good questions? Are they giving you answers? Is it making it more frustrating for you to understand the process? The more we know about that, the easier it is for us to live into our intention and be of service. So there is... um, Plenty of time for comments and questions. Today, yesterday, I presented a series of worksheets um, that had come to me to do because of emotional upset I was experiencing throughout the night, the previous night. And um, when I finished that, most of those worksheets had me choose to do some more worksheets as a process to... um, to further the work. And it was either one or two worksheets that came to me this would be good to do to you know, release some more energy or some more negative emotions around this. And so uh, when I got to the, the final worksheet in that series, I had identified a pattern of um, thoughts around disappointing people and having a lot of emotion within myself for that. So I structured a mind shifter, which is what I call a targeted journaling process. Dr. Michael Rice calls it a mind shifter. And it's a statement, any kind of a statement, for which I might be holding some negative thoughts and beliefs somewhere in my subconscious and unconscious mind. And if I allow myself to do a a journaling session focusing on that statement. Every time I write that statement, every time I speak it, it's setting up an energy field. It's adding energy through the law of resonance to anything that I might be holding in my mind-body energy system that is in resonance with that, whether it's the opposite of it or it's in agreement with it. And so as I write a statement on the left side of a sheet of paper and give myself a block of time to write whatever comes up in um, psychoanalysis, they call it free association. In in various um, schools, they call it different things. Journaling, a mind dump, brainstorming, etc. And... It is a very useful way for me to uncover beliefs, patterns, 
connections that are being held within my own subconscious and unconscious energy system that I cannot get access to with my logic. And there are all kinds of ways and reasons that that might be. You know, dynamics, people have been struggling to understand why is it. Within this work, Krishnamurti and David Bohm have come up with the realization that there's just a fundamental flaw in the process of thought, at least within the Western mind, that reaches various conclusions because of that flaw in thought that certain things are too much for us or that we can't deal with them. And so there there arises within us an active process to block from our own awareness those things, whatever they might be. And so that is where a process like this that bypasses the conscious logical mind can be so effective. And that is why the tool called the Mind Shifter and Dr. Michael Rice's work, what I would call targeted journaling, can be so productive, so useful, so revealing. Um, so I had that as a, a goal yesterday to get that done before the beginning of the show today. And so this morning I spent a little over an hour journaling on that mind shifter. And as a follow-up to yesterday's presentation of um, worksheets, I'm considering reading what that journaling uh, produced um, in the hope that there's a, again, that it serves as a kind of a template for others who might want to engage in a process like this. Um, one of the things that I told people a lot after the first um, the first really productive mind shifter I did years ago is just coincidentally um, at the end of it I used to read that for people as a as an example of how the opening statement seems to have no logical connection to this parade of things that I wrote about that went back into my grade school years and high school and college, etc. And so it was a really good example, to my mind, of how I don't even need, and it's unproductive in a way, for me to try and keep bringing my mind back to the original statement and trying to make sure that whatever I write about makes logical sense related to that statement. It's far more productive to just let whatever flows flow out. And coincidentally, one of the themes that I saw as a result of that eight or ten pages of journaling years ago had to do with... Um, 
the theme of disappointment. And when I did the final worksheet yesterday before the show, and I thought about the step seven and the goal that I would create moving forward from that, it had a mind shifter. I thought, you know what? Rather than setting up another goal, I would benefit from doing a mind shifter on this theme of disappointment. So what I wrote in that worksheet at the end in step seven was, I will offer myself and the target of that worksheet that I would do a mind shifter on the statement that it is safe and healing for me to know that people are disappointed with me. So that was what was on the worksheet at the end of the day yesterday. Today, when I actually sat down in the morning to write I wrote the statement, it's safe and healing for me, and I love it when people feel disappointed with me. So I changed the words a little bit to try and make it a little bit more in alignment with what Michael Rice would call regulatory speech. So people are choosing to feel disappointed with me. It's safe and healing for me when that happens. I love it when that happens. Now, I don't really love it. And when you would say, why would you write that? Because the part of me that hates that or fears that or thinks it's a horrible thing is going to have energy added to it. And any associated thoughts and connections have a chance to then spill out as I'm writing. So this is what happened. This is the writing that flowed from that. This doesn't feel safe at all. I remember feeling as though the love and affection I felt from people was like my life's blood. It felt excruciatingly painful if I felt a negative emotion from someone else. I remember crying out loud if I saw someone else in pain, fear, or sadness. And this is in reference to, um, I'm thinking of this and remembering this in my single-digit years. The writing goes on. I tried giving my brother my brand-new ball when his flew out the window because it was less painful for me to lose my new ball than to sit near someone in so much pain. I don't think I was ever able to fully suppress that dynamic. I remember the good feeling I would get from giving things to people, and I eventually learned that it was like a drug. I didn't know it for the longest time, but the buzz or the high that I would get from giving something to someone else was like the drug 
to numb me out to the pain of being near people who are unhappy. I eventually learned that this is a trap. I have worked for decades now to learn that I don't have the power to make someone else happy or sad. I sometimes feel waves of the old pain, but it's like a faint echo of the debilitating pain I would experience earlier in life. I wonder at times if this means I must have just suppressed that energy or perhaps I have grown to a healthier way to process and experience it. And I rewrote the opening line, it's safe and healing for me, and I love it when people feel disappointed with me. And then I wrote, I've always felt that if I disappointed someone, that it was a colossal failure on my part. I remember feeling very badly that I was not able to pay attention to the details needed to be a good caddy for my grandfather. He was such a powerful figure in our family, and I always ached to please people. Yet, I simply could not generate the focus needed for the sport of golf or for caddying. This left me feeling that I disappointed my grandfather and therefore my parents. Ouch! Exclamation point. I remember that somehow I seemed to be able to please my one uncle, even though I was never sure why or what he liked or saw in me that he didn't see in my siblings. In my college years and beyond, I learned that while he had a good heart, he was deeply wounded, and he was probably playing out some cross-generational family patterns of favoritism, which were very unproductive. I rewrote, it's safe and healing for me, and I love it when people feel disappointed in me. And then I wrote, I still shudder when I think I've disappointed someone. I've grown in some ways to be able to limit the range of people I engage in this pattern. However, when I fall into that pattern, I still generate intense sadness and grief with my thoughts of being an abject failure. I recently had a session with the mother of a 10-year-old girl. The mother relayed the story of how upset her daughter was when her mother told her that she was disappointed in the way that the 10-year-old was not living up to her responsibilities as a pet owner. As the daughter seemed crushed by the mother's words, the mother immediately clarified that the daughter is a wonderful person and the best daughter anyone could ask for, loving, kind, considerate, intelligent, fun to be with, creative, and a blessing in many ways. 
and at the same time, there was room for improvement in this area. As I heard this, I wondered whether I would have been able to integrate this if my parents had ever been able to say that in the moment of expressing disappointment. They frequently told us of our value, and yet I don't remember being reminded of this in the context of a parent expressing disappointment. I am deeply blessed by getting to know the deeper inner workings of my patients' lives, just as I am challenged by that same process. I often wonder if I'll be able to liberate myself fully from the fear of disappointing someone I care about. And now there are tears coming up. You might hear it in my voice. I'm not sure what that would look like. I wonder now how much of that dynamic has been driving my actions in several areas of my life that I thought were unrelated. I wonder if that has been part of my drive to reconnect with some people who've chosen to distance themselves from me. I wonder how much of a role it may have played in driving my participation in a number of projects I've volunteered my time, intelligence, money, and energy to. I still generate sadness when I think I have disappointed some people. I'm relieved that this no longer includes everyone. And yet, I still see more work to do. That is the end of that writing for just about an hour's worth of sitting, breathing, shedding a few tears as I am now, and just letting it flow. So that's the Mind Shifter Targeted Journaling. That was the byproduct of yesterday's work. And we have plenty of time for comments and questions, answers, testimonials, refutations, if you would like to refute anything we're talking about. 563-999-3581. Are you there, Susan? I'm here. Hi. That was very rich. Really good. Thanks. It was a wonderful idea to do that on the show. I have a question, and this is, I can't tell whether this is a huge reflection on me or or for you, but it's as if your fear of disappointing someone isn't the bottom line thing. If you disappoint someone, what happens to you? So you're asking what happens beyond the intense emotional pain I feel? What's going to happen to you if you disappoint people? Is it it the the true answer? I mean, I'm not questioning your... I'm just thinking my answer would be different. But I'm just projecting on you. I'm thinking about if, if 
I disappointed somebody, I would end up feeling like a scumbag or a bad person. I would have been a failure. I might have been sad about it, but I would have felt as if I'd just been chewed down to a nub or something. Um, and well, I, 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 I said already in, in the writing that I did that I would feel, I, I would have the thought, I am an abject failure, and I would have emotional yeah. pain around that. Are you asking for something other than that? Are you asking I for <laughs> the deeper origins? I think that's going to be different for every one of us. If I was a three-year-old and I got somebody screaming at me that, I'm, I'm a disappointment or I'm disappointing them, and then they slap me or spank me or hit me or ignore me, then I would have all of those things coming up as either conscious, subconscious, or unconscious fears driving my urge to avoid disappointing somebody. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of that. I didn't have a lot of ridicule or physical punishment. But I did from a very young age, want that, as I, as I wrote in this, I just had this craving for that loving connection with people and this intensely uncomfortable physiological response to being around somebody who was not happy, not loving. Hmm. So if I disappointed somebody, I would have that to deal with. Right? I would yeah. have this negative impact on me of being around somebody who was not happy emotionally, and I would not have the drug, the buzz, the, the joy, the love that I, I craved. That's the best answer I have for you at this point. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And of course, I'm I'm thinking as I present something like that that it's an example of how it doesn't just flow logically. Mm-hmm. It's you know the, the 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 best benefits I get from a worksheet process or a journaling process like that is that it bypasses the conscious logical. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how well that translated because I did keep coming back and repeating the statement about, you know, disappointing somebody or the the original mind shifter. And yet, to my mind, there's no way to draw logical connection to all of those things that came out in the writing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if I disappoint someone, it has a different end result. But this is your process, and I and and so what is yours? What is it that you're aware of that has a different result if you if you think you've disappointed someone? That I I'm not gonna 
in the extreme, I would not be able to have a place on the planet. I shouldn't live. Okay, that's not an external result. That's your internal belief or interpretation. Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed, it is. Right. But when you say, when you disappoint someone, you get sad, well, I'm not arguing with you, Dr. Tim. (laughs) Don't take it that way. I'm really not. I'm just right on the edge of understanding where you are and where I would be if I disappointed someone. And I would be very sad about it. So let's get more clear about the way we're using the word disappointing someone. Okay. You've never disappointed anybody. You've never created disappointment in somebody. Everybody chooses their interpretation of life events, and that creates their own emotions. So if you think you have disappointed someone, or if someone tells Mm -hmm. you, they have disappointed you have disappointed them or they are disappointed in you then you generate your response right. and the response you generate you see it right now as being even more extreme than the one i generate is that what you're saying well yeah i guess i am i mean you you're saying you're very sad because you have what hurt them? I, you have caused well, suffering. Well, no, no. I'm, think... I'm I'm at the point where I understand I haven't hurt them. What came out in this uh. journaling, which was kind of a uh, many levels of revelation for me, is that from the time I was very young, if I was around anyone who was not happy and loving, I experienced it as being painful within me. Mhm. So right. what I'm what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling in this journaling and some other things is a level of awareness within me of some sensitivities that I didn't know I had. So I am not saying that I disappointed them or that I hurt them. I'm at this stage in this work where I understand they're creating their own emotions. What I found in this journaling that was new is that I started remembering from a very early age that if I was around somebody, like the situation with my brother's brand-new ball, yeah. I didn't do anything to cause that. Right. And he was playing with this brand new ball in the car, going on the highway, no air conditioning. It was a long time ago. The windows were open. And my mom told him once or twice, don't toss your ball up and play with it because if it goes out the window, we can't stop for it on the highway. Mm-hmm. He did that again, and eventually his ball went out the window and he started crying and I would have, you know, I I immediately pushed my ball into his lap to say, here, you take this and and don't don't cry. My brand Mm -hmm. new ball. And I'm a single-digit agent. I'm not some Mm -hmm. 
college level or post-college, got my own job and go new, buy a new ball. Or I'm, I'm just, it was just being that close to somebody who was that upset through no mm-hmm. fault of my own. Mm-hmm. Created such discomfort well, within me that I would mm-hmm. do anything to try and help them feel better. Yeah. That's quite wonderful. No, it, it no, it's just a, it, it, it it's just a dynamic. It's not good or bad, right or wrong. Yeah. It's just what was happening. And I couldn't make them feel better. I did create a lot of upset within myself for a lot of years. I had no idea that I was the one creating that upset. But through use of tools like this and this kind of work, I'm growing in my awareness that when I have these discomforting energies flowing through me, I can take a breath, focus inside, and ask myself how I'm creating that and start applying these tools specifically to that process of creation and create differently. Mm. So, so I do that with the working process. Go ahead. The disappointment, the disappointment you that you feel is because you can't help someone and then they are disappointed in you or you can't comfort or fix or the difference between you handing over your ball as a little kid to try to help your brother feel better is in my mind I, I don't understand that as you being a disappointment to anybody except if he didn't like the ball or it didn't work or something and then he was disappointed in you because you didn't do enough for him or something. I don't okay. know if you can tell right. where so, I'm going so, with this, but Well so stop, right? Because what you're doing right now, to my way of thinking, is you're trying to use logic to connect these two. Mm-hmm. And I started by saying that's the benefit of the targeted journaling and canceling everything I think I want in the worksheet process and asking to be shown something else, it's not logical. There were several conclusions and associations that came up in the series of six or seven worksheets I presented yesterday that weren't logical. Mm. There's nothing logical about a connection between my ex-wife wanting a divorce years ago and the thing that started this on on the eve of my birthday two days ago. There's no logical connection there. Mm -hmm. You can make stuff up after the fact once that association has been presented, but you can't make logical connections with it with any um, reliability. So I'm not saying this is logically connected. I'm just saying that's the thought that flashed into my mind about this pattern of how sensitive I was to being around somebody who was in the middle of experiencing a negative emotion, whether I Mm. caused it or not. Is that helping you clear that up? I'm not saying that this has something to do with me disappointing him. Okay, yeah, it does.
the hope is just to present an example of something that actually does not make any good, solid, logical sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This issue is very close, similar to an issue I had early on and has played out many, many times in my life. So if I'm a little discombobulated, it's because I'm sorting, I'm picking apart what's yours and what's mine. You could even say it's quite a trigger. That's fine. If there's some way we can assist you with sorting out that trigger, let us know. Well, I might at some point. Didn't mean to get you off the track. It was a, it was a good mind shifter. Well, and just to help people understand what I have come to do with these mind shifters over time is I will go back and reread this. As I read it again this time, I got through 80 or 90% of it basically with just little waves of emotion, and then near the end, it prompted tears. So... Mm. I never know when I read it the next time which parts of it might resonate more emotions, sadness, tears, mm-hmm. anger, frustration, whatever. But as I do, I stir that stuff up. It gives me awareness mm-hmm. of things that I was previously unaware of. And with right. that gift of awareness, I can now turn the focus of my conscious attention and the use of the tools to that new disturbance, disruption, negative emotion, whatever you want to call it, and dismantle the process within me that's generating that upset. Yeah. So I will keep reading this over the next few days. I don't just stick these things in a drawer, and it might be even longer than the next few days. As long as it's stirring stuff up for me, I'll keep working Mm -hmm. with that mind shifter and the writing that came mm. from it. And that's what, you know, some people might call digging deep into it and mining like you would mine for coal or gold or silver, mm. mining the depths of that writing and those associations to find the gems. Yeah. That's really Gutsy. I must say I had a drawer full of wake-up sheets and mind shifters, and I burned them all the other day. I just didn't want to look at them. I hope that was okay. <laughs> it's okay? How do we know it's okay? Because you did it. It's already happened. Okay, good. Perfectly okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many people say, oh, that's bad or wrong or it's not optimal. It's okay because it happened. Mm. You got a certain level of benefit from doing that work. And apparently for now, that's all that you needed to get from it. I'm taking a deep breath on that one. That's good. I really like the formulation of that that comes from Byron Katie and her work 
called the work where you know she says everything that's happened is just perfect the way it was how do we know that because it's already happened and because we can't go back right. and change it it means mm-hmm. it's part of the flow of life and my only option here is to accept it embrace it allow it like the way a master would say what love does is allow all things, accept all things, trust all things, embrace all things, and thereby transcend all things. I want to mm. be, in that sense, like what Way of Mastery points out as the energy of love. Whatever's happened, I want to settle into allowing it, embracing it, trusting it, and and go with the flow is another way to talk about it because I I don't have any ability to change what's already happened. I do have Mm -hmm. the ability to work with and to change what I'm making it mean in my life today. Yeah. Within that pattern or capacity, I can change the meaning I am giving to these past events that I carry around with me that are there to get resonated Mm -hmm. into activity in my mind whenever a similar frequency or interpretation arises. So is it okay that this happened? Absolutely. How do Mm -hmm. we know that? Because it happened. Yours is a, I guess is, for many of us, but what I would consider a tremendous gift of empathy uh, turns itself around and kicks you in the shins, it also can hurt. And so picking apart and keeping what's good about it and not going down the tubes if you can't achieve what your empathy would suggest you achieved is that would be a great thing to learn in life. Well, in line with what you're saying, my mind wants to say this is what the Buddhists would call the middle path. Mm-hmm. Some people hear it as the golden mean. Some people hear it as all things in moderation. Some people hear it as, um, you know, the middle path. Essentially, uh, some people hear it as the phrase, everything in moderation. But the bottom line is, uh, oh, one of those um, bottom line observations on my list is number five says, at times, my greatest strengths will be my greatest weaknesses, my greatest assets, my greatest liabilities. Right. Now, that works in, in, in a number of ways. One of those ways is that too much of anything is counterproductive. Anything in the extreme gets to be unhelpful. Yeah. Another mm-hmm. way that it's useful is within a certain context of, of situations, what might really serve me well as in almost an extreme level in one context is a big hindrance in another context. 
Yeah. So I have to be aware of the moments, the people around me, the situation, and be willing to go into the flow of that with my skills and traits and and my choices. Yeah. And I agree with what you're saying. I, I work with quite a few people who fit the definition for highly sensitive people, and it's common for them to end up in my office in their 30s, 40s, or 50s and have never had any awareness that there's a certain percentage of the population, somewhere around the 20% mark, of people who just are more highly sensitive, just like there's a certain percentage of the people that are their minds just easily do complex mathematics. And, the, mm-hmm. and mathematics, and there's a certain percentage of the people that just seem to write fluidly and with flowing, concise statements that make sense and hold together. That's a small percentage of the population. Well, just like that, there's a certain percentage of the population that fit the definition for a highly sensitive person. And mm. becoming aware of that and learning some ways to cope with it and deal with it and tone it down or mitigate the effects of it is extraordinarily useful. Yeah, no kidding. Because if you don't have awareness of that and you just assume you're like everybody else, you're left wondering what is wrong with you that you can't tolerate the same kinds of things that other people just seem to walk right by without any, without giving it a second thought. And for you, it seems to have ripped your heart open and poured your guts out on the floor and and your <laughs> central nervous system seems to be firing at, you know, a hundred times the normal rate. And you wonder, what's happening here? What's wrong with me? Well, there's nothing oh, yeah. wrong with you. You're just experiencing the world differently than the people around you, which is, in one respect, it's normal because none of us experience mm. the world in exactly the same way. Right. That's what we talk about so often when we talk about the process of perception being so active. None of us are experiencing the world exactly the same as everybody else. Yeah. And if you tend to be one of those highly sensitive people, there are some common patterns that you're going to share only with that other 20% of the population, and it can be very useful for you to become aware of those and develop that comfortable acceptance of yourself and learning how to use it as a strength in places where it's a strength and shore up those times and places where that becomes a a liability or a weakness, and function mm. better in the world because of it. Yeah, that's just exactly what needs to happen. So, that's, you know, it's that... That sensitivity that I had as a child is one of those things that, 
You know, I didn't ask for it. I didn't work to develop it. I, I've been working to become more aware of it and see the impacts it's had in different ways in my life ever since my college days. And you formed your profession around it. Yeah, yeah, kind of I stumbled into that. And 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 truth be told, the first 10 or 15 years of my profession, I relied almost exclusively on the intellectual aspect of things and tried to minimize and numb out and deny and suppress all of that empathetic, compassionate, emotional stuff because Mm. especially in the first seven years where I was working in corrections, that was not an asset. That was that was ridiculed and looked down upon and Wow. Mm. So that's very interesting actually. Wow. Yeah, I've had about forty two years now of being in the field, trying to bring out that sensitivity and integrate it. The first seven were mm. just the opposite, trying to hide it, try to act tough, try to fit in with the police officers and yeah. the probation officers and the lockdown facility juvenile hall workers and adult jail workers and and fit in in that shut-down, non-emotional environment. Wow. That's pretty tough. <laughs> it was quite the challenge. So I've had some time now, you know, 47 years. That's a good long time to, mm. or 43, yeah. I guess, 42 or 43 years to uh, practice getting in touch with that compassionate side and let it serve me and serve the people I work with. But I was literally digging myself out of a hole in that regard because I had spent years denying and suppressing and hiding it. As though it was boy, oh boy. You know, a liability. Mm. I have found that if I have a client who is in a certain kind of pain that was a trigger. I I was able to watch that and manage it better. But out in the world, I wasn't in an, any kind of a professional role, so I might get into trouble out in the world, whereas I, I didn't in sessions, but I still had to watch it. I guess that was counter-transference. That was the patient was presenting in such a way that I was triggered, invited into feeling certain ways, wish to heal, wish to comfort, wish to fix. It was very strong, but I could sit still and just stay in my healthy self, but in a way that I haven't been able to in some instances in my regular life. I guess even though I was a pretty informal and am a pretty informal therapist, um, 
some of those things I learned early on from my first therapist who was very, she was Freudian trained and very strict. She was like an analyst, although she didn't call it psychoanalysis, but she talked very little, revealed almost nothing about her life. And oh, just that like was good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just like you. Well, yeah. that's one of the things I appreciate with what you're doing. I've said this before is, you have, I mean, this is so early stuff for me, but you have, I've always wanted to know my mother's secrets. I wanted to know the reason my mother cried the one or two times I ever saw her cry and she tried to keep it a secret. This was extremely powerful wish to help her feel better and to understand what was going on. But I... Somehow that feeling of wanting to help her disappeared totally because there was such violence too that I just didn't want to have any kind of emotional connection or investment in her. So, but these situations would come up maybe with a, I remember seeing a seventh grade teacher, a young woman, very, I mean, it could have been a substitute for my mother, a sort of a tiny white lady, young, very pretty, like my mother, who burst into tears at one point at the back of the room and tried to hide it. And I practically went out of my skin because I had this memory of my mother who I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't know what to do with. She was just out of the, beyond the pale the powerful trigger of seeing this person needing some help and me not being able to do anything for her. It was really a massive trigger. And I'm still, I, I think I've confused loving someone with wanting to comfort them. They are, they're all mixed up in my mind. That's not all that unusual. Is that so? Yep. Wow. Yeah, and to varying degrees, right? I mean, I'm not trying to take any specialness away from you. You might have it worse than anybody ever that's lived, but the general pattern that's okay. <laughs> of of yeah. mixing up, you know, wanting to make somebody feel good or feel better with what it is to love somebody is quite common in this culture. Mm. That's amazing. I never thought that that was true. I thought that was just sort of a, uh, uh, something wrong here. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, That's good to think hear. About it. Well, think about it, because when there are so many of us who grow up where no one talks about this stuff, they're just living their mm-hmm. life, going through emotions and reactions and blaming, etc., and no one's talking about... Did you... Did you hear that example I gave of that patient recently? Yeah. Where she expressed to her daughter that she was disappointed and her daughter just felt crushed. And she just instantly went into explaining, please don't, don't forget all the wonderful stuff that you are and how much we tell you on a regular Mm -hmm. basis, how wonderful you are. Don't overreact to this. Imagine having that from a parent at a at a time when correction was being offered. 
Yeah. What a gorgeous thing that the parent could offer that. I hope the kid really heard it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the parent will make certain that she hears it again and again in the process of, mm-hmm. you know, working to have that be an effective communication. But the point is, that is very rare. That is an exceptionally yeah. good example of perfect parenting or exceptional mm-hmm. parenting. Yeah, it's a beautiful example. So, so most of us are being raised where all kinds of things are being said and done, happy emotions, sad emotions, angry emotions, disappointment, guilt, shame, fear, all of that stuff is floating around. And it's not described, talked about, or, and we aren't coached through it. It's just there. And we're left mm-hmm. to make up our own understandings of it or meanings for it. And we do that Mm. in a way that's commensurate with our own intellectual intelligence and our own emotional sensitivities and our own emotional intelligence. So it's going to be all over the map. Yeah, it sure is. It's, you know, fairly miraculous that there are any reasonably healthy, well-adjusted people on the planet when you consider (laughs) all of these factors. And as Michael would talk about, the cross-generational traumas that get handed down, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it is, you know, truly a blessing when we stumble across something like that or we meet someone like that or we learn a set of tools that would help us get to be a little bit more proficient in the managing of how we create and process our emotions. Mm. Well, this has been really good. I'm very glad you think so. I'm I'm prompted by that to look at the clock and see that we're down to about a minute and a half, so Right. Yeah. I thank you. Um, The last communication I got from Jeannie was that she and Michael will be here live today but do a recording tomorrow. So as always, thank you uh, deeply for your comments and questions. And um, I will mute you so you can listen into the second hour and offer you blessings. And I'll remind us that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And while we're waiting for Jeannie Rice or someone to come on the switchboard, I will make the commitment to carve out the time in the next couple of days to make yesterday's show and today's show available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website on the Best of Audio Files page. And... I've already said um, my goodbye, so I'll turn on the microphone for Jeannie Rice. Welcome, Jeannie. Thank you, Doctor. I appreciate that. I was trying to find my earpieces. I've lost them somewhere. So anyway, <laughs> I hope you All have right. a good well, day, rest of it. All right, thanks. Have a great show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is, what is today? 
August the 1st, and it's Tuesday. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. We'll give Michael a moment to dial in. Oh, I just found my headset down on the floor. <laughs> I'll plug it in in a moment. So tomorrow we're going to be playing um, over the last month and a half or whatever we've played a chapter of the Why book being read to you. And so we're up to the fourth hour of the book being read. So that will be played tomorrow. Michael has an appointment and I'm taking Aria to the zoo. So um, anyway, we hope you'll enjoy that reading. And I don't see her number on the switchboard yet, but, uh, oh, there it is. I believe that this is Miss Julia, 360. You are on the air. How are you doing, young lady? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. I am doing well. Let me uh, make sure Michael knows that you are on first. Hold on a second. Okay, he is still dialing in, so he'll be with us in a minute. Thank you for calling back today, because I don't know if you heard us uh, at the end of the show yesterday, we said, when he said, well, let's finish it tomorrow or Wednesday, and I was like, no, no, we're not, we're going to play a recording on Wednesday, but I wasn't sure if you heard Oh, us. perfect. Yeah, because yeah, I was so it worked out to go to work today. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad that worked um, out. Michael, there he is. Michael, Julie is already on. Awesome. Welcome, young lady. Glad you could Thank make it you. today. Me too. All the synchronicity that happened about me not going to work today. I just woke up in the middle of the night saying, yeah, I'm not feeling going to work tomorrow. And then I, I was like, okay, well, let's just rest on that. And then I woke up. I have to get up at 3.30 to go to work because I have a three-hour travel to get to work. And um, and then I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> so, three <laughs> hours one way or a round trip? Yeah. That's crazy, girlfriend. One way. I know I have like an hour and 15-minute drive, and then it's an hour-something ferry ride. So I go to a small island, and um, it's a very beautiful drive and a very beautiful ferry ride and a very beautiful island. So, And I get to listen to um, podcasts and stuff the whole time. So I enjoy it. And I only do it like once a week. Very cool. And you told me that you're going to, yeah, and you're going to do a, pot, a recording tomorrow, so that's perfect. We've all lined up. Sweet. Well, how are you doing? Yeah. How is what we did yesterday? Uh, it was kind of a, a quick shot, but. Uh... Yeah, so yesterday I um, I didn't finish it, and I just read some more in the book, and I um, printed out some more forms and filled up my binder some more. And um, I read 
some more uh, about the like um, Dr. Wright, Dr. Hayes has done these like the mental short version of the reality management worksheet and the forgiveness pattern um, worksheet. So just reading through that stuff and um, yeah, I think we left off at uh, right at the action step. Um, right. Mentioned the rose and the butterfly and. So, any questions at this point before we um, move into the next step? No, no, no questions. It's all crisp and clear? Relative. Please. As awesome. As clear as I can be. Fabulous. All right. Well, then... We've looked at this idea of um, choosing truth, facing and processing out all disease energies, generational patterns, willing to go through the symptoms, got the goal, and the goal, remind me, was? Um, What line is the goal on? Three. Is it B? Three, B, or... Um, oh, yes, the the goal is I want to feel wellness and joy in my body so that I can walk and um, and be in, comfortable in my body. Okay. And then tapping into okay. love. Do you feel like that's uh, yes, a space I... you're connected with at this point? Yes, we worked on that, yes. I am feeling tapped into love. Well, we join you and hold the space. Okay, then the next step is the core of the forgiveness process. And basically what step 5A is designed to do is to, you know, if we were doing the live Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop, this step is a review of every key principle that we've covered in the whole first half of the workshop. And so 5A, pardon me, 5A, when upset, my perception is built out of corrupt data. How do I tell it's corrupt data? There's hostility or fear in it. And it's driven by my goal, whatever I asked for in number three, started to feel good and joy in my body. That picture, that perception, that construct is a limiting picture constructed from a max of nine bits of data out of 10,000 brain cells firing. So reminding us that this picture is something generated by my mind out of brain cells firing. And now the core, in the Aramaic language, the word forgive is shabag or shabak. And it doesn't mean I let you off the hook. The word actually means to cancel, to let loose or to untie. Now, if I cancel you not a very good idea (laughs) murder cancel myself suicide no we're going to let that one go what is it in any given situation that i can cancel that's deeply involved in my pain perception i can cancel the goal that i hold 
So by canceling my goal, my replicant mind, and the, basically when we're talking about carbon-based memory, we're talking about the mind's ability. All it can do is replicate. There's, there's where the why is this happening to me again experience exists. Lots of people do all kinds of intellectual work and all kinds of intellectual thinking and all kinds of stuff within their perception except change the root of it. So if you never change the root of what's in what we call the mind, all it can do is replicate what's in it. And so there's the, the key to or the core of the why is this happening to me again experience. So when I cancel that goal, that construct driven by the goal collapses, and that gives me direct contact with denied and dissociated parts of my carbon-based memory, which does nothing but project and blame others for its content. A good visualization here, it's not a pleasant topic, but it's a powerful visual that just about everybody has, is pretty much everybody remembers watching the 9-11 towers go down. And here are these giant structures that collapse into their own footprint. And that's a good visual for what happens when I cancel a goal. My perceptual construct, the reality in my mind, may be a giant construct. I've been doing this one forever. I've been pained and traumatized by this. It's run my whole life. It's giant. It's huge. And all it is is a projection from the content of the mind. How do I collapse it? I cancel a goal. So when that happens, I get to touch into what's at the root. So if you visualize that perception as the tower, it drops into its own footprint, and that's what gives me access to the underlying content, which is, you know, for most people, it's always about, you know, somebody else. I keep generating pictures of why are they doing this to me again. So the action step is, while holding love, conscious, active, and present, I now choose to collapse my mind's lies by willingly canceling my goal, the driver for number one C, the object of attention of the worksheet, two, and you put your goal in here. So what you do is you transfer your answer exactly as you had it in number three, bring it down to number five and put it in that blank, and then cancel that goal. Does it make sense? you because this is the toughest piece of the whole thing it's like gee michael i have a perfectly good goal here why would i cancel that goal i mean shouldn't everybody have the goal to feel good in their body and feel joy absolutely i agree that's that's a very fine goal for everybody in the world to have and i'm not going to suggest you cancel it because there's a problem with the goal i'm going to suggest you cancel it because when you load it in your mind it brings corrupt data into your perception and that's where the problem lies. So I cancel the goal not because I don't want it, not because I don't have it, but because whenever I load it in my mind, it brings corrupt data into my perception. Does that make sense? Um, how come, uh, yeah, up to uh, that it's corrupt data. Like, how come it's corrupt data, the goal? No, the goal isn't corrupt data, but the goal accesses corrupt data. Remember we, when we talked about hostility and fear, the primary yeah. meaning of hostility or fear, you know, the ego mind's got all kinds of meanings for hostility or fear. You hurt me. You did this to me. That happened. This is wrong. That's wrong. I'm hostile because. I'm fearful because. I'm afraid because. The, the pro, so we give it all kinds of meanings, but all those meanings are a lie. 
all that hostility or fear mean in the human system is that the mind is using corrupt data to produce its constructs. That's what hostility and fear mean. So, so my corrupt data thought is I'm in pain. Well, right? no, your, your, your corrupt data thought isn't in your, in, that you're in pain. Your corrupt data is that there's pain moving in you when you hold this goal. Okay. Okay. And so there's the fact that. that there's some form of hostility or fear within it means that there's the underlying energy that's being accessed by this goal holds corrupt data. And what I want to do... And it doesn't mean, like, when I finish this process, I will very likely go back and reestablish my goal to have joy and, and pleasure in my body, to feel good, to feel healthy, to feel well. That's, that's perfectly wonderful. But if I start thinking about that again and I'm back in trauma and pain, then I might cancel that goal again and I might do it again and again and again and again until I finally process through all of the underlying energy that, you know, maybe goes back 20 generations in my bloodline and has been corrupted for 20 generations. You know, when you hear this thing in the, in the Aramaic when they talk about the sins of the fathers and remembering that the Aramaic definition of the word sin is an archery term when you fire at the target and miss the bullseye, the scorekeeper yells sin. So, you know, the sins of the fathers, the energies that are off the mark are passed yea unto three and four generations that scriptural quote says, and then it finishes with, yea, of those who hate me. So here's the creator telling us, not that we're going to get punished, but here's how your system works. You've inherited generations and generations and generations, as all of us have, of corrupt data. And that last, the, the, to me, the really key part of that quote from the scriptures, yea, of those who hate me. Here's the creator talking directly to us as humans. And in Aramaic, the word that's been translated there by the Greeks is hate. Is not hate as in a love-hate relationship. It's those who are separated from me. If I'm separated from the active presence of love, I'm incapable of transmuting changing or healing the corrupt dad in me. I'm stuck with it. That's why before I go into this process, I want to restore my connection to love, to honor love and be right there connected to love as I drop into this next level of my healing process. Because it's when that underlying corrupt data comes forward in the presence of love that it begins to dissolve. Only those who are separated from the active presence of love are stuck in the why is this happening to me again experience. When I make a new habit or I reinforce the habit of staying connected to love, when my corrupt data comes up, I'm in a healing process. If I stay connected to hostility and fear and my corrupt data comes up, I'm reinforcing and playing out the hostility and fear game again. And that means that Instead of having love as my advisor, what I've got is the generational corrupt data. So you know, the sins of the father are passed, yea, into three and four generations of those who hate me. So instead of, or separated from love, instead of having love as the advisor, the assistant, the helper, what I have is the corrupt data of the generations. And when you start thinking about that, four generations you know if you go back you take your life and you take four generations before you 
that's a total of 31 lives. And, and what that means on a physics, on a physiological level, is that you and I have every thought, every feeling, every reality generated from each of the previous four generations of our bloodline. I mean, did anybody ever tell us that we had every unresolved energy of both of our parents and our grandparents and their parents and their parents before them? That's 31 lives. And then, of course, you start thinking about, well, let's see, four generations back, where did they get their thoughts, their feelings, their realities, but from the previous four? Who got them from the previous four? Who got them from? Who got them from? Who got them from? We're carrying around. You know, if you go back just 30 generations, we're talking about over 1.6 billion lives in our genes. And, of course, if you go to the 31st generation, you're now talking about 3.2 billion. The 32nd generation is 6.4 billion. I mean, it's a mathematical progression that... You know, what are we carrying around? And the, and the real work of Yeshua is the invitation, develop the ability and the willingness to collapse pain perception into its own put for, footprint, stand in a space of willingness to bring whatever that is forward in the presence of love for healing. And then, instead of having the generational patterns as my guide, I have the actual live presence of active love as my guide changes everything the habit for most of us however if you know a lot of our lives are consumed in hostility or fear the habit is well i've got this great hostility and fear advisor and he tells me that if i just rage at you you'll you'll change and then everything in my life will be okay which of course doesn't matter how much the people around me change if i don't change what's in here i'm going to tend to keep doing the same stuff over and over and over again. Does that fit? That makes sense? Yes, that that's wonderful. It's fascinating. Amazing. I love that. And and that's like is that why they say that's in your genes? Right? Like, exactly. It's literally storing your genetics. Yeah. My mother had yeah. arthritis, and the energy patterns that contributed to her having arthritis, if she has never resolved them, and I don't resolve them, reside within my genes. If Now, the genes themselves can't, be, can't activate themselves. A gene, let's say a, a cancer gene or an arthritis gene, can't activate itself. can't say, oh, I think I'll damn this person with arthritis or whatever. You can't do that. Something has to activate genes. They are not self-acting. You know, the, in medicine, they used to talk about, and this conversation's been definitely put to bed, they used to talk about the primacy of the DNA, that the, pri the DNA, the genes ran the game. Now that's passe. Everybody knows that's total fraud. Yes, the potential is there for it, but some kind of behavior, some kind of thought, some kind of word, some kind of action has to happen to resonate that into activity. If I do the action that resonates that arthritis gene, cancel the thought into activity, and love is present in me, then the arthritis gene is going to dissolve and it's going to disappear from my bloodline. I'm going to free not only myself, but my whole bloodline from it. 
I'm going to open the energy window for everybody in my bloodline who's tied to that to be freed from it. And not only that, I'm going to open the energy window for every person on the planet who's tied into that frequency in their genes, in their lives that creates arthritis. I'm going to open the energy window so that if they're ready to go through it. Now, I can't force somebody to go through the energy window. But, you know, imagine we've got, uh, you know, you, you may have uh, had a few of these over the years. Most of us have. We've got this sliding, heavy sliding glass door, and it's sticky, and it's like, oh, so hard to open. My son had one of those. First time we went to his house. And we did a little work on it, and we adjusted the, the rollers on it, we lubricated it. And, you know, he, he did that, and then I was able to open the door more easily. Anybody that goes through that door can open it more easily. Once somebody, who's a great principle in the Course of Miracles, that says, when you are healed, you are never healed alone. We're literally, everything that we face, especially the traumatic energies that we face and stay connected to love with, begins to dissolution us. Now, begins when they said to Yeshua, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Actually, in Aramaic, you never heard Yeshua telling anybody to forgive anybody, and you never heard that disciple saying, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? There are two words missing in the, in the Greek translations whenever the appearance seems to be about forgiving someone. So in Aramaic, that question, I think it was Peter that asked it, how many times should I forgive as to my brother? was the question in Aramaic, not how many times should I forgive my brother. In other words, how many times do I have to go inside of me, collapse my perception, and forgive, remove my content that this particular brother happens to bring up for me? You know, Yeshua says, or in the scriptures they say, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother. Now, that's not a bleeding heart statement. Oh, you must forgive from your heart, you know, some kind of... What there's... The heart is the code word for the unconscious. What he's saying there is you've got to remove from your unconscious that which you put into your brain's image of your brother. And so this is how it was taught in Aramaic to do that. So if, if I'm going along and I do a particular behavior and it brings up rage in my brother and my brother rages at me and I respond to his rage with my rage, that may be the very thing that brings arthritis into tissue. That may be the dis-ease energy. What I want to do is short-circuit that whole process by recognizing that I have a goal for my raging brother. Gee, I want him to speak to me lovingly, gently, and respectfully. What's forgiveness look like if I'm going to forgive as to my brother who's raging? It looks like me saying, I cancel my need for my brother to treat me lovingly, gently, and with respect. And I'm going to breathe. And I'm going to hold love present in my mind. And I'm going to look at that, you know, perhaps that dis-ease gene that holds arthritis I'm going to allow that corrupt data that would otherwise physiologically expresses arthritis in a space of active love, and guess what's going to happen? It's going to be transmuted, and arthritis is going to tend to disappear. That's what it meant, forgive as to your brother. So when Peter asked, how many times do I need to forgive? Is seven enough? Yeshua said, no, forgive as to your brother, 77 times 70 times, which means 
I'm going to do as many worksheets as I need to until I'm finished with this aberrant energy that's inside of me. It may not be one or two or 10 or 20 or 500 worksheets. It might be the 501st worksheet that I do. And since I've been doing, quote, unquote, the right things nutritionally, emotionally, taking care of myself, resting, and that sort of thing, it might not be until that 501st worksheet that I'm vital enough to pull the real core energy that goes back 20 generations that's been causing arthritis or expressing as arthritis for the last 20 generations, which is in millions of lives in my bloodline, it might not be till that 501st worksheet that I'm able to process that one out. But now that I've done it, arthritis or whatever disease is related to whatever that energy is, it's going to disappear from my body and my mind and my emotions and my relationships and my finances, whatever the disease energy. However, wherever it's expressing, you know, the, the next step at once we do the canceling of the goal is you invite this feminine elemental force that Yeshua taught about that was called Ruka Dukutcha. You invite her into activity. And here's the definition of that feminine elemental force is she who undoes the effects of ours and teaches us the truth. The Greeks called it or titled it the Holy Spirit. There's nothing about a disembodied spirit being. There's an actual power in us that has the ability to reach back through all of the generations within our genes, all of the impact of all of those generations and all of the millions, perhaps billions of people that it's touched, and process that energy in an instant if I change my choice about it. But I've got free will, and if I decide, well, you know, I need this little bit of rage just to protect me in case, you know, my spouse gets nasty with me, then it doesn't matter how many times I invite that feminine elemental force to go to work and remove that rage. I've got free will, and as long as there's a part of me that values that more than it does the active presence of love, that's going to stay right there in my tissue structure and create all the effects it has created in generations and generations and generations. You know, you thought you'd look at that story about the uh, the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years and were, were led to believe that that's a story about this very bright group of people who know all about astronomy being lost in about a 35-square-mile area for 40 years. People who know the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, they didn't say, well, you know, we seem to be lost, but we're going to do a straight line and follow the sun and get out of this. No, they didn't do that. They just stayed lost in 35-square-mile area, uh, area for 40 years. I mean, that's silly. It's ridiculous. But when you realize that the word desert there is a code word for the unconscious, and you start looking around, you notice that the average person hangs out in unconsciousness, the desert, for about 40 years before they start suspecting, hmm, I've been through this 87 different times with 42 different people, and I'm the only one that was there every time. Maybe I'm involved in my life. And they start to wake up and decide to go in and do their work. So this is the, the prescription. This is the how-to that Yeshua gave for going in and 
taking care of the heart, removing from your unconscious, from your heart, the wrongs of your brother, and thereby getting out of the desert. And if you read that story about the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years, you remember that the key to getting out of the desert into what was called the promised land, and that's the difference between the two is pretty simple. In the desert, we create unconsciously. We do the same stuff over and over and over. Why is this happening to me again? Why are they doing this to me again? Why am I doing this to myself again? And then there's the promised land, the land of conscious co-creation. Why engage in a creative process? And I consciously produce the result. What had to happen to get out of the desert into the promised land? They said the old generation had to die off. The root of the word generation is genari. It means cause. All of the causes held from all of the generations that have never been resolved have to be resolved in me in order for me to get out of the unconscious state, out of the corrupt data state, into conscious co-creation where I'm designed to live. And this is a prescribed tool for doing it, would be my offering. How did they get out of the desert? You've got to do your work. You've got to clean up your unconscious. No, I know. Again, I know, but how the desert the Jews, isn't about a hot, sandy place. I know, I know. It's the unconscious. It's doing their work. Does the story say how they got out? Okay. They had to by, clean by, up the generational patterns. And some of them never got out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. You know, Moses, Moses was on the... He didn't get out. Yeah. It's a metaphor for the journey of doing one's own inner work. You know, we come into the world, and what do mom and dad, neighbors, friends, siblings, what do they all do with the child? Oh, look here. Look here. Look here. Look at this shining star over here. Look at this shiny atom over here. Look what this person's doing. Oh, look at the TV. Oh, look at the book. Oh, look at the pictures. Look, look, look. Look out there. What we need to be doing is guiding our children inside because that's where the real life happens and that's where the work is done. And one of the things we do with our granddaughter, who's now getting ready to turn five next month, is... We have meditation time, and she'll lead us in the meditation. And the meditation's about going inside. At five, she leads a genie, and I, she'll direct us step by step by step what to do to go inside. Now, we do lots of outside stuff with her, too, but we spend time going inside and paying attention to the inner world and the inner life and the inner energies. And that's what this tool is designed to do, to help people to get into that inner state where the real exploration has to occur in order for us to get free of the generational patterns. The old generation has to go. doesn't go if we live in the, you know, if we're card-carrying members of one world religion to blame and it's all everybody else's fault, of course, that I'm failing this, which is kind of the, you know, the sad story of the world. Can I add something? Please do, Jeannie. Absolutely. So one of the things that I that I always teach when I'm working with someone on the worksheet is, you know, we're creators. It says that we're created in the image of God. We are creators. 
And so if there is something that you want, why have you not created it? It's because there is a part of you somewhere that believes you can't have it, you don't deserve it, or something along those lines. You don't believe that the goal is possible. Well, when you look at the story of uh, Israel wandering in the desert, what happened was the generation of unbelievers, the ones that believed it couldn't happen, there was no way, you know, they were told that it was the land of milk and honey, the promised land, and it was awesome, and they didn't believe it. Instead, they chose to believe that there were giants that they couldn't conquer and that there would be, you know, all this turmoil and trauma. And so they didn't get to go over. But then there was a group that did believe and they they could see the possibilities and the potential and they got to go into the promised land. So it's the same with us. You know, if we hold a goal and we are, you know, if you look at the worksheet, first you have to cancel the goal and then you ask Rika to help you. It's not the other way around because if you're not willing to let it go, Rook is not going to take it. You have free will. And so you have to be a believer and be willing to let it go and believe that something better is coming your way. And then you can step into the promised land. But as long as you hang on to the, I can't have it, it won't work for me, you know, I'm not worthy or whatever, then you're going to continue in the same desert. Perfect. Awesome yeah. input, sweetie. Yeah, and and Jeannie awesome. just reminded me. Excuse me. Go ahead. No, sorry. I was just agreeing with okay. you that that was awesome. Thank you, Jeannie. With all of this in mind, you know, there's a, a, a movie that we often show at intensives, and with the conversation we're having right now, it might be interesting, especially with the question you asked, to watch the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. If you haven't seen that movie, or if you haven't seen it for a long time, in the context of this conversation, sit and just be with the process of that movie. And it's interesting that, you know, here are all these people, they're a bunch of them are real whiners and complainers, and, and you know, here they are, they're running away from Pharaoh, and there's a sea, and there's nowhere for them to go, they're trapped. And, you know, they've been whining, complaining to Moses, and they're trapped, and they're, they're going to be destroyed by and captured and put back into captivity by Pharaoh. Moses opens the sea. This is a metaphor for healing. It's, so Moses opens the sea, and everybody's like, wow, you saved us. How cool is this? And, of course, they haven't done their work. But the sea opens up, and they escape. And then the sea closes down and, you know, Pharaoh's wiped out, and, and they capture it so beautifully in, in the Ten Commandments. And then the whiners start whining at Moses again. <laughs> you know, they just go right back to their whining game. <laughs> it's, it's a great the, – the way they capture it in the movie is really powerful because they're just like, bingo, they're right back in the same old whine. They've been so, oh, wow, Moses, you're so great. You saved us. And then, oh, why didn't you do this for me? Why haven't you taken care of it? They go back to the same old, you know. They're card-carrying members of the one world religion to blame, and it's all Moses' fault. It's a great scene. It's a a very uh, uh, poignant scene when you think of it from the context of people who have always got somebody else to blame and giving up that blame game, taking responsibility. and, And maybe 
you know, being the early adopter, the first person in their bloodline that's ever stopped and said, you know, I think I'll go inside and clean up what's happening inside of me. Most people in today's world don't have a model of a mother or a father, grandmother, grandfather, aunts, uncles, cousins, sisters, brothers, neighbors for doing that. They're like the first one that says, I'm going to do this. And it takes commitment and it takes work and it isn't over overnight. You know, most people are like, you know, when they hear me teaching this, they're like, oh, Michael, that's so exciting. That's so cool. I got five bucks in five minutes. Tell me everything you know. It's like, no, you don't get it in five bucks for five minutes or 10 bucks or 10,000 or 100,000 or a million or 10 million. You get it by doing your inner work and it's not going to be over overnight. It's not a Dr. Feelgood process. It means there are a lot of old generational energies to be embraced and worked through. And it's not a Dr. Feelgood process. That's why we have right up there in step number two, I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. It's a big deal. It's, it's quite a... When you start handling those generational patterns, it can get pretty intense. And people will oftentimes, you know, over the years, I've seen people who, you know, they... They, their first intensive they came to and they had this big piece of work to do and they worked on that issue and they got, you know, layers of it cleared out and they're so delighted and, wow, this is great. And, 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 and before they clear it out, they're in tears and pain and trauma and, oh, my God, life is, this is the end of my life. And they're delighted and then they turn around and the next week, the next month, six months later, that issue's back again. And six months later, it's back again. And five years later, it's back again. And look, you know, I, I thought I was going to be done with this, and here I am. You know, I'm, I'm right back in that thing that I was working on five years ago. And I'll remind them, because there's a marker that tells you that you're moving forward, and that is, well, remember five years ago when we did the worksheet on that? And your voice was so shaky you could hardly speak, and your body was shaking, you were trembling. The rage, the fear, the pain was so enormous, you couldn't even think outside of that trauma. And notice that today, now, here you are doing the exact same worksheet five years later. But did you notice that as you start, and, and you proclaim, look, I'm not getting any worse, I'm going to quit? Did you notice that while you're doing that, you could crack a joke and you could crack a smile and your body wasn't trembling? You're doing another layer of your work. That's just part of the process. It isn't, it isn't a one-shot deal and it's over with. It's something that you're going to get to revisit many times before you're completely finished with it. But if you notice the level of upset the first time you did it, most people, if I said, well, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, what was your level of upset when you did your first worksheet on this? Oh, it was a 200. So here you are today, five years, ten years later, doing the same worksheet. What's your level of upset? No, oh, I'm at a three. Now, the ego mind will say, see, it's the same thing, same upset, same issue. I'm not getting anywhere because the ego can't tell the difference between a 200 and a three. But that's a monumental amount of progress, just what it takes. That's how it's done. It isn't bing, bang, and I'm finished with it. It's a process. So then the action step at this point, here's where in step 5A you take a, a, 
a step forward. I want to remind myself that I'm going to hold love conscious, active, and present. I now choose to collapse on my mind's lies by willingly canceling the goal, the driver for number one C, the object of attention to, in this case, my body, to bring me into joy and well-being. Does it make sense for you as to why you'd cancel that goal? Um, no. I mean, not consciously right now. I mean, it's just everything you just told me. Why you, <laughs> why you cancel it? Now I'm like, oh, no. Well, it's it's a big piece of information, but but in its simplest form, again, I don't cancel the goal because I don't want the goal to be achieved. I cancel the goal because I recognize when I load it into my mind, my mind uses corrupt data to build my reality. And I want to clean up my corrupt data, and I want to clean up my corrupted realities. Again, you may finish this worksheet and go right back and reestablish that goal. That's perfectly fine. And if when you load it in your mind, there's more pain to be processed, and that'll be the next time you let go of it. As, as Yeshua said, you know, how many times do I need to forgive us to my brother? Is seven enough? No, 77 times 70. So I'm stepping into a process where I'm willing to embrace and process whatever's gone on in my generations, you know, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, who have been in physiological pain and trauma. I'm going to embrace all of that energy and I'm going to clean it up in me. So you're canceling it, not because you can't have it, not because you don't want it, but because you recognize that when you put it into your mind, It leads you into deeper pain. When you cancel it, your constructs around that pain will tend to collapse in on themselves like the 9-11 towers on themselves and give you access to the underlying energetic pattern that needs to be exposed and healed by touching into love or being touched by love. Does that make sense of it? Yeah. Cool. This, this work is so powerful. You know, I'm doing the intensive, and I I have watched. Oh, can you hear me? You're loud and clear. You're good. Oh, okay. I because I was muting myself because of background noise. But anyway, so I've watched. You know, like the first three videos multiple times. Right? It's like I just can't. <laughs> I just keep watching the same ones over and over and over, and, and then I'll Perfect. and then I'll start a new one, and then go back to the first one, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it just sounds new, and you know every time. So it's yeah. But I, I think just it's watched like that. those patterns. You're yeah. building brain cells. You're building brain cells. So you go back and you listen to Yeshua. He says his work is only for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. I think we can fairly safely assume that pretty much everybody in his audience had what we call physical eyes and ears. So he wasn't talking about that. He was saying you've got to have the brain cells. If I don't have the brain cells to recognize that it's my energy 
that's creating my pain and trauma, then my brain can't generate a picture that goes, hey, Michael, you're creating your own pain, brain and, or your own pain and trauma. You better clean up your mind. I have no brain cells to generate that. So what happens each time you watch one of those videos in the intensive, and you've only got about 90 hours to go through, so have fun with it. Each time you watch it, you're building brain cells, and your mind can build a, a bigger, more accurate picture of what's being said. And then having watched it again, you've built some new brain cells on top of that, and you can get still a bigger, more accurate picture. And then the next time you watch it, you'll get still a bigger until you get to, oh, okay, that's what it means. I'll just offer that. I still go back and watch some of my videos for 30 and for, from 30 or 40 years ago. And when I do, it's like, oh, my God, did I understand that back then? I didn't even know I knew that. <laughs> and now I know that I know it. When I watch it, it's like I, I, I recognize that I didn't have the brain cells to really recognize what I was saying back then. And now with 30 years in between and the brain cells I built, it's like, Oh, man, it's a whole new picture and a whole new understanding now. And that's the process. Yeah. Yeah. So let's yeah, bring your answer from number three. Okay. It's a process, yes. And one of the things I suggest to people is keep a record of your worksheets. Make a notebook. Keep your worksheets. Because when you go back a year to five, ten years from now, and you look at that worksheet, it'll have a whole new set of gifts for you. So if you bring an answer from number, number three. Oh, please, Jeannie, go for it. That last one was I great. Just, I, just, I just happened to think about this, and it may not apply. But So, Julia, your goal was to have a healthy body, or what was it? Yes. Uh, to joy and I want feel to feel wellness and joy in my body, yes. Okay, so if you don't have that, then there's something underneath that's keeping you from having it. When you cancel it, and I may be jumping ahead here, you might see something like issues of your parents or grandparents who embedded the thought, oh, as you get older, your body falls apart. And if you bought right into that, track. then you know that would be what's keeping you from having a healthy body because you believe what they told you or what they experienced that as you got older you didn't have a healthy joyful body and so then when you can see that and let that belief go then you can go back and set the goal again and then you might have a healthy body yes yeah and yeah like it's and or, what's happening to me is exactly like what's happened already to my mother Right, so I am yep. following in my mother's footsteps to the T. You say you were? No, I I am following. You say you my, were following I, in your mother's I, footsteps? I was, I was. Oh yes, but <laughs> but you're not anymore, right? <laughs> no, no, yeah. no more. <laughs> Going to change that game? Yes. Yeah, and it For might sure. be. You know, here's a nice tool that Dr. Tim brings in on occasion, and it it addresses, you know, Jeannie just gave us one example of how mind energy may have been implanted, but another one might be, well, you know, the, the actual, the implied message that gets picked up by a child might be, well, you know, we're just one of those families that are meant to suffer. 
you know, we're one of those. We just, we've always been in poverty, we'll always be in poverty, and we've always been in pain, and all, you know, those kinds of dynamics get structured into the mind. And one of the tools to counteract that that Dr. Tim came up with that he offers, which I think is really cool, is he has families, especially with children, look at their name, their last name, and make up an an acronym for the name. So it might be, you know, if, if the last name is Jones, then would make up something of an acronym for the name Jones or Smith or whatever, and it would be an acronym like our family always has wondrous, joyful relationships and abundant experiences. You know, if if they were the initials that would go along with the acronym, so they make up an acronym for, for their name so that the thought is implanted, consciously, purposely implanted for abundance, aliveness, and well-being rather than the good old family feeling of, well, you know, we always end up in trauma and poverty or, you know, whatever the, you know, the, the pattern is. Because most families have a pattern of some kind and they only have a pattern because that's what the generational thoughts are. And so taking the last name and turning it into an, ac- an, an acronym is a, is a great tool. Yeah, that is. So let's yeah. bring your answer from number three down okay. to that blank and number five. Okay. While holding love conscious act to present and now choose to collapse my mind's lies by willingly canceling my goal. For number one, C2. So how about going ahead and just doing that step? And you notice the little hand points to the word breathe over there. You want to make sure you breathe while you're doing it. Okay. And I invite. There's a blank right after I invite. Right. So as you cancel that, where did your mind go? Okay, did anything yes. for you? As you breathe. And it's a space when you're doing a worksheet that you want to get quiet and really listen to the subtler energies inside. So what happened when you canceled that goal? Um, I feel lightness in my body. Okay. Cool. Good. Yeah, yeah, I feel So relaxed. then you probably stepped into some processing. Awesome. And yeah. And, and then when I said I see the... a blank. Okay, go. Ahead. Right. Well, there's the, before you move on to to 5D, there's another step there, and that is One of the things that happens when we have an insight and we process through it, the mind is kind of a habit machine. And we may get an insight, but if we don't really, you know, tell the mind this is what we're doing, the mind can kind of slip back into its old habits. So then you'll see over on the side, or there's there's that step that says, you know, I cancel, I need to be right, 
and make up another story out of these brain cells to hallucinate proof that my fear or hostility-based story, my reality, is true. So the mind can, you know, if it's got habits of going on for a long time, you want to put an end to that habit, and this step is about once you cancel your goal, it's about putting an end to that habit. I'm going to pay attention to my mind, and if it comes up with another story that follows this pattern, I'm going to say, no, we're not going there. I'm finished with that one. Cancel the goal again. And so just just to be aware, the mind being a habit machine may just go back and do more of the same, and you're just going to let let that loose. You're going to let that go. Okay. And then I'm going to invite, and you'll see that the definition of what it is that we're inviting in Aramaic is Ruka de Kutcha. And yeah. if you look down at the bottom of the worksheet, you'll see there's a definition. These are the words that were translated by the Greeks as the Holy Spirit, but it's got nothing to do with a disembodied spirit being. It is, quote, literally in Aramaic defined as a feminine elemental force that when invited into activity undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. I mean, literally can reach back through all generations, through all interactions, through millions, billions of lives, and the lives that I've impacted today and the life that I'm living today, and can undo all of those effects like that. Because that's the power of the active presence of that quality of love. So I'm inviting that power. Now, we leave a blank there. I usually just short form that to Ruka. Some people, you know, they've got a strong religious bent. So it is, they, they're, they're key in for that is the Holy Spirit. Some people have been traveling the 12-step path, and it's the higher power. Some people have been doing psychology, and it's the superconscious or the unconscious or the primordial X, whatever term fits. But now I'm going to invite whatever my term is for that how power. And there's several things I'm going to ask for. I've canceled my goal. Now I'm going to be asked to be inclined toward healing. I'm going to ask that power to restore me to my newborn essence love, which you'll see a hand points to the right rachma. Rachma is a condition in the frontal lobes of the brain that is a filter that is also a gateway that opens a space for love to enter our forms. So I'm asking that power to be restored. I'm asking that to be restored, to get back to my newborn essence love. Several things I'm asking for here. I'm asking that power to heal my denial. My pretense that something outside of me is the cause of what's happening inside of me. I'm asking that power to literally heal my capacity to generate whatever the emotion is I have in number one B. Like, I- I'm willing to let go of even being able to generate that kind of energy within me. And then a second sentence in that request phase is, I'm asking that power, help me to open a direct conscious relationship with and gently remove these denied, dissociated, and projected parts of my carbon-based memory. So you're asking that power for several things. Cancel the goal, opens the space, collapses perception, and then you follow up and ask for support in those arenas. So how about doing that step? Okay. When you're doing the worksheets on your own, you can do it silently or out loud. 
doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've done that. Okay. And so as you do that, Number 6A, I now feel, and then there's a space to draw your feelings. Again, sometimes the feelings will pre, be pre-verbal. They might go in, fit into words, and they might not. So you verbalize if there are words for them, and or just a line drawing, just a simple line drawing can be effective. And so how do you feel? I feel light. Okay, so be what you feel in 6A. Yeah. And then if you look back at the whole story in number one, I can see that. How does that all look to you now? It it looks, um, it doesn't look frightening and overwhelming. It looks, um, it looks um, clear and it looks, um, I just I think I'm just more feeling it than seeing anything in my mind about it. Right. It feels um light. It feels lighter. You've reduced it in size to the point where you know you can handle it. It's gonna take some work but you can handle it. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Yeah, nice. That it okay. has reduced. Cool. And, I and keep your breath I moving with that. I see a path to freedom and healing. Yay. That's awesome. Nice work. You know, in this case, where you're doing a worksheet on your own physiological, oh, nice breath. That's the kind that releases. That's Ruka Dukuchi in action right there, that breath, when it comes spontaneously like that. That's where the deepest processing work happens. Awesome. I just feel so much love and joy. You know, how when you, like, tears of joy. So this is your human life coming into your physiology. That's what will heal you. It's your human life coming into full awareness and physiology. And it's not some kind of intellectual process. It's like wow, this is what's happening in my form, in my structure. The next step, 6C, would not be applicable here in the same way that it would if I was doing a worksheet on someone else, doing it on my own form. So that one wouldn't particularly be uh, applicable here. But then move to step 7. Okay. Okay. That's good. <laughs> what I don't see six C. I just see six A and B, and draw your emotions, and then seven A. Okay. Well, let's go to seven A. I'm I'm looking then at a slightly different worksheet than the one you've got. So seven. Okay. A, a principle of the universe is that by giving, I first get the original. So when recognize, you know, and of course this would be particularly applicable if I'm raging on someone or criticizing someone or what have you, I get the original of the energy that I'm I'm giving, my pain and sadness about what's going on in my body. I'm just reinforcing that original. And so this is just a recognition that whatever I offer to someone else, I'm giving to my own physiology first. 
And then I'm grateful. I'm going to step into gratitude for this opportunity to heal. It's like, wow, this is awesome. And then I'm going to make some new choices. I choose, I choose truth rather than blame. I choose perfect love. And then, based on the whole issue that you're working on from love, structure a goal toward whoever you're doing this worksheet on, which is your own body. So what are you going to offer to your own body? Wow. So it, it, it might look like something like, okay, the next time I'm feeling trauma in my body, I'm going to soften and breathe, and I'm just going to step back into this connected space of love and hold that space for myself. And then as you do that, soften and breathe. And then the final step, because the show's about to cut us off, if you look in the box, you'll see I commit to love, to living a human life, to help achieve this, I do a mass canceling of all the times I wanted, number three, from someone. So looking at, and this might not be quite as applicable again when you're doing a worksheet on your own physiology, but if I were doing a worksheet on someone else, oftentimes the goal that I hold for them is something that started out long ago. You know, I've, I've had that goal for many people throughout my life. And so now that I've got the ball of release happening, I want to cancel Every time, put the initials of anybody I've ever had that goal. Well, gee, I remember when I had that goal for my mom. Yeah, I had that for my big sister. I had that for that first guy that I dated or that first gal that I dated. Oh, yeah, I had that for my boss. I had, and I'm going to cancel all the times I've ever wanted that goal from anyone. And that just moves the whole process to another level. Right. And you've just done a worksheet. Nice work. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was courageous. That was thank courageous. You. Well, thank That's you for so the gift. This will be a this will be a special uh, show in our archives with uh, with what you just did. That's a nice piece of work. Really nice dem- oh, demonstration you. of the principles. So sweet. Yeah, today was so powerful, and I'm so grateful. And I'm going to listen to this <laughs> over and over, and I'm going to share it. <laughs> Awesome. All right, young lady. Well, the show's going to cut us off any second, so I'm just going to say much appreciation. And everybody, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world and blessings. Thank you. Bye.